name is Chris, and I'll be reading our scripture this morning. Our reading is from Genesis chapter 32. Is it up on the screen? Okay, cool. Jacob said, Lord God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make sure things go well for you. I don't deserve how loyal and truthful you've been to your servant. I went away across the Jordan with just my staff, but now I've become two camps. Save me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid he will come and kill me, the mothers and their children. You were the one who told me, I will make sure things go well for you and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea. So many you won't be able to count them. Jacob spent that night there. From what he had acquired, he had set aside a gift for his brother Esau. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him, and he helped them across the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Chris. All right. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Drew Wilson. I'm ever grateful to serve as a co-pastor here at Common Table. And today we are continuing the narrative lectionary, which is our path through the story arc of the Bible from September to May this year. So let's send our kids out to kids ministry where they too are engaging these stories this morning. So can we clap for our kids and our kids volunteers going back there? All right. Yes. Oh, the kids rock, Jim. The kids rock. Here we go. All right. All right. Let's see. Um, before we get going, I just want to say, uh, you may have noticed we're kind, of, we're kind of dude heavy in our worship leadership this morning. Uh, so two points about that. One is that a bunch of women couldn't be here this morning. Um, we asked a whole bunch of women to help lead and folks weren't able. And so we just want to acknowledge that. It's actually really important to have all kinds of diversity and leadership. And this was just one of those Sundays. All right. So want to name that. Um, the other point is that, hey, women folk and non-binary folk, we would love for you to volunteer yeah. in worship leadership. So um, please, please. It's also important to acknowledge that we're going to do some deconstructing of American masculinity today. So yeah, come on now. Come on. Everyone gets up and just walks out. Okay. <laughs> that sounds great. Okay. All right. Well, a short story to get us going. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I had the pleasure of hosting a friend from Scotland, Mark Taylor. And I wanted to give Mark a good stateside experience. So I took him to a Norfolk Tides baseball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we went to the concession stand, and Mark was very excited to order 
a corn dog. A corn dog. Because they do not have those things over there. Mark got his corn dog and he took a bite. And I said, how is it? And Mark grinned and said, oh, it tastes like America. <laughs> so now you know. More recently, my extended family was gathered. And as a conversation starter, I asked, what top five movies are essential viewing for understanding America. Now, at that point, I may have just watched a historical drama like Good Night and Good Luck. Anyone remember that one? Which is a window into the world of McCarthyism in the 1950s. Or I might have just watched All the President's Men, also uh, about investigative journalism during the Watergate era in the 1970s. Or maybe I had just watched Selma about voting rights marches in the 1960s. Well, what would you say the top five movies essential viewing for understanding America? My brother-in-law, Brantley, who is a college professor, Brantley surprised me. He said, well, in your top five, you would have to include at least one Western. Because Western themes and tropes, cliches, factor so deeply in American mythology. The Wild West, the frontier, taming the wilderness, a battle between chaos and order. On one hand, the natives and the outlaws, on the other, the cowboy, standing alone for justice, fighting the good fight and the gun fight, right? Before moseying out of town and riding off into the sunset. This is the classic Western ending, right? Anyone know what that is? Blazing Saddles. That's a car riding off into the... <laughs> All these tropes and stories we tell ourselves, they express our American dreams and they shape our American identity for good and for ill. Now, let's zoom out for a minute. Because in church, we are telling much older stories and frankly, we are telling much deeper stories. This is an oil painting by French artist Paul Gauguin in 1888. It's called Vision After the Sermon. Vision After the Sermon. It shows French church women in the foreground outdoors after the service has concluded. And they are having a vision of Jacob wrestling with the stranger or the angel in this case. It's the story that Chris just read so wonderfully. And presumably, these French church women just heard that story in Sunday morning worship. So who knows what holy visions you will have when you leave today, and who knows who's going to paint you doing it, all right? <laughs> but our Bible stories are bigger than our American myths, okay? Our Bible stories are bigger than our American myths. They are a, a part of people of all nationalities all over the world. So 
I suggest to you, ready? I'm offering this to you, that in these Bible stories, we find strength to push back against our own sins of nationalism. Okay? Yeah. Come on. And what a story that we find today in the character of Jacob. This may be one of my top five favorite Bible stories. And ironically, it is the origin story of a nation. It's the origin story of the nation of Israel. Jacob wrestles with this stranger who renames Jacob Israel, which in Hebrew means God wrestles or wrestles with God. Israel means wrestles with God. The nation of Israel consists of those who wrestle with God. Now, when I was a teenager, I was struggling with every question about God. Somehow it had gotten into my head that faith was not having questions or doubts. Faith was 100% certainty. So there were those who were in, and there were those who were out. And if you had a problem, it was your problem. Your problem. Well, I had problems. Still do. Still do. And when I heard this, that the people of God are those who wrestle with God, I said, oh, this I can do. Thank you. I'm in. I'm in. And I'm still wrestling, but I am wrestling with God and with God's people. I have found faithful sparring partners. Thank you all. So this national origin story of God's people, Israel, it's a little bit like our cowboy stories, and yet it's also so different. Can we name the ways? It's similar in that Jacob is something of a fighter, and he's something of a loner out there in the wilderness. On one side, there's some backstory, ready? On one side, Jacob is fleeing from his father-in-law, Laban, whom he kind of fleeced. In the story, Jacob just took Laban's daughters, his wives, and their children, and all the flocks, and he left without letting Laban know. Woo! He burned that bridge. So that's one side. On the other side, Jacob is running toward his estranged older brother Esau, whom he fleeced long ago. Because one time, when their father Isaac was old and losing his sight, Jacob dressed up like Esau in order to trick their old man into giving Jacob the blessing of the older son. It was a big deal. So Esau hated Jacob for stealing their father's blessing and his birthright. Esau hated Jacob. He held a grudge. He swore that once their father was dead, he would kill his brother, Jacob. Speaking of American movies, it's The Godfather. <laughs> All right. 
In our story, Jacob has just gotten the news that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Here comes the cavalry. Jacob is terrified. There are threats from all sides. You got it? From deep in his past, from his present, from his immediate future. So Jacob has forded the Jabbok River. This is like Oregon Trail, y'all. This is really fun. All right, here comes dysentery. All right. He has forded the Jabbok River. He has sent his wives and his children and all of their possessions ahead. But Jacob has then come back to the riverside. He's all alone as the sun goes down. And there he does battle with this stranger. I mean, this cowboy never lets up. And at the end of the story, Jacob saunters off into the sun. So it's kind of like our cowboy stories, right? And yet, it's so different. For instance, you may have caught that Jacob saunters off, not into the sunset, but into the sunrise. It is not the end but it's a new start with a new identity. And nor does Jacob stride off into the sunset. Rather, what does he do? He limps. He limps because the stranger tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh. As one commentator points out, Jacob leaves this wrestling match disabled. This is not our traditional American myth of the lone cowboy, undefeated, undeterred. This origin story of Israel is really different. Maybe before Jacob had this mysterious midnight encounter, he was a rugged individual. But he was miserable and afraid and alone. And now... In the new morning, Jacob has become Israel, not a rugged individual, not a rugged individual, but a wounded community, a people. These are the people of God who struggle with God. Thanks be to God. They wrestle for a blessing together. Now, in so much evangelical American Christianity, there is this assumption. And the assumption is that our American myths go hand in hand with Judeo-Christian traditional myths. In her book, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation, woo! Kristen Cobes Dumez writes this. The myth of the American cowboy resonated powerfully with evangelicals a model of rugged individualism that dovetailed with the individualism inherent within evangelicalism itself. The cowboy embodied a quintessentially American notion of frontier freedom coupled with an aura of righteous authority, signifying an earlier era of American manhood, a time when heroic white men enforced order, protected the vulnerable, and wielded their power without apology. The myth of the American cowboy had been tinged with nostalgia from its inception. 
Half a century later, this nostalgia would be channeled into a powerful new religious and cultural identity, an identity harnessed for political ends. Does that sound familiar? Now, it's a powerful critique. And unfortunately, we sometimes know how to critique something problematic, but we don't know how to offer something in its place. In pushing back against religious fundamentalism, for instance, we can get so resistant to rules or boundaries for moral behavior that we can become fundamentalists in opposition. Right. It's ironic. And it's dangerous. And it's really not helpful. It's one of the reasons why people of difference have such a hard time talking to each other these days. But what I offer, actually no, what ancient tradition offers is a collection of better stories. We have in our scripture better stories. Stories that speak prophetically to our broken narratives of patriarchy and heteronormativity and white supremacy and Christian nationalism. And that's a big reason why we here at Common Table are committing to follow the narrative lectionary in worship and in kids' ministry and in small groups this year. If you are sick and tired of the unholy American mythologies of the Lone Ranger standing sturdy, come find a different archetype down by the shore of the River Jabbok limping, vulnerable, at the start of something new, which is life lived in wounded and reconciling community. Because, guess where the story goes? The story goes that when Esau and Jacob finally come face to face, Jacob flings himself on the ground in submissive fear, but Esau comes and throws his arms around his brother's neck and kisses him. Now here's a different genre, but here's a creative image of brothers reconciling. <laughs> a wounded and reconciling community. It's a different story that we tell. In just a few minutes, we are going down to the banks of the River Jabbok to celebrate the baptism of Riley, Sharon, Prine, Bully. And in baptism, we are telling a story that is very different from our American myths. Going into the waters of baptism, we say that we are dying to self with Christ. And rising from the waters of baptism, we say that we are rising to new life with Christ. Through baptism, we go from being rugged, ragged individuals to wounded community. And you may see, you never know, you may see Riley struggling with the water, wrestling with the water. Well, she's entering a community of wrestling. Yeah. But this community is going to help remember this story for her and with her. This is the story we're going to tell together. 
We're going to wrestle with God together. And she will never have to be a lone ranger because she is a child of God among children of God. You see, friends, these are the stories and the sacraments that are powerful enough to battle the broken myths of America. Yeah. You don't have to look any further. They're here. You just have to come down to the river and wrestle. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.